And before I begin with our reading from Matthew, um, I am going to give the disclaimer that this is one of the most difficult words of Jesus. This is the text of, on adultery and divorce. And I know that for some of you, you might be hanging on to a lot of baggage as we begin this reading. Know that we're going to try and work through some of it. And I hope that you trust me to know it will be okay. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. So can we take one big collective deep breath? There's a reason I give a disclaimer before reading this gospel text. It doesn't feel very gospel. It doesn't feel like very much good news to hear Jesus talk about these things this way. And the truth is, many of us have some kind of baggage around these 16 verses of Matthew. I know I do. Mostly because of how I have heard this text preached or used throughout the years. I wonder if this is how Paul felt when he was writing to the church in Corinth in our reading today, frustrated that in his calling people there were so easily drawn to making the story of Jesus about jealousy or quarreling or who is right and who is wrong. All Paul wanted was to help the church in Corinth to see that they were called to one another, called together to be God's servants in the world. And I think that actually that's what Jesus is trying to do here too. But first we have to deal with the baggage part. When this text came up three years ago, I began my sermon with apologies. 
And honestly, I couldn't imagine talking about this again without naming those hurts. If these words from Jesus on anger have been used to make you feel as though you could not be angry, if you were told your feelings weren't valid because you might be liable to judgment, I'm sorry. If these words from Jesus on reconciliation have been used to make you feel as though you were to blame for the feelings of others, that if someone had something against you, it was your fault, that it was your responsibility to own that guilt regardless of whether you were right or wrong, I am sorry. If these words from Jesus on adultery ever made you feel like an object, if you had been told that it was your fault someone lusted after you because of how you look, for every assault victim who was asked what they were wearing, for every time someone is told how to dress, how to behave for the sake of someone else's nature, I'm sorry. If these words from Jesus on adultery have been used to make you feel as though your body or your mind were somehow shameful, if you have ever been made to feel as though your attraction or your desire to show love in healthy ways has been caught up in sin, dishonor, or guilt, if you have been made to feel as though you didn't get to participate in your feelings towards others for all the reasons these words from Jesus have harmed so many people and how we understand each other, I am sorry. If these words from Jesus on divorce have been used to torment you, if you have felt guilted into staying in a relationship that was emotionally or physically unsafe, if you have been emotionally or physically harmed because you stayed, if you have been shamed by loved ones, by strangers, or by your church because you chose life over death in an unhealthy relationship, if you have ever been made to feel less than because of these words from Jesus, I am so sorry. I don't think we can begin to understand Jesus' message for us today until we sit with that much-needed word of hope and apology for how these words have been used. And I know I still need those words, too. What if these words from Jesus on anger and reconciliation weren't about invalidating feelings or putting blame on ourselves for the feelings of others, but a reminder to seek forgiveness and reconciliation whenever possible. That anger, bitterness, vengeance harms us and keeps us from our relationship with God and our neighbor when we hang on to them. In a 1980 book written by Bert Gezi titled The Angry Christian, he says, a very famous quote that has been paraphrased multiple times to sort of sum up as, resentment or hate is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to be hurt. Resentment or hate is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to be hurt. Jesus is trying to call us to put down the poison we've been carrying. And forgiveness and reconciliation don't always mean continuing to maintain a normal relationship with someone. Sometimes it looks like creating a really healthy boundary with another person. Sometimes that healthy boundary is to completely close off that relationship. Sometimes it means finding ways to balance so that we can keep ourselves emotionally, physically, or financially safe from the person who causes us so much pain or so much anger while still being able to see the image of God in them. Not holding on to our anger, to our resentment, but rather finding strength in Jesus' calling for us to seek relationship where we can and to unburden our hearts whenever possible. And 
What if these words from Jesus on adultery aren't about objectification or shame, but a reminder that we are called into relationship with each other as whole human beings? Whenever I see these words from Jesus, although they are harsh and graphic, they also remind me how completely different they are compared to the way we talk about bodies, particularly women's bodies. Women and young girls are told constantly that the message is about what they look like. And if someone else's eyes turn them into an object, lust after them, then it is the woman's fault. We hear constantly of women who have gone through assaults, who have been asked, what were you wearing? Well, did you smile at that person? Jesus isn't telling anyone here to cover up. In fact, Jesus lays the responsibility of lustfulness where it belongs on the person who is turning others into objects. These words from Jesus point us once again to recognizing the divine image in others. They remind us that we are not <coughs> objects, we are not things. We are humans. We are made in the image of God. We are inspired and breathed into by the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us. When we treat other humans like objects with lust or apathy or anger or fear, we do so to the image of God. Jesus is trying to remind us and shock us into hearing him say that when we forget to see God in our neighbor, we create hell around us for ourselves and for the people that we treat this way. And that is not what Jesus wants for anyone. These words from Jesus remind us that in the midst of a world that wants to treat us and wants us to treat others like things, we are all children of God and we are all called to recognize this image of God in each other. And I can't tell you how many people I have counseled who have had this verse from Jesus on divorce used against them. And it breaks my heart. Because I think Jesus is simply trying to call us into relationship with one another and into a better caring for our neighbor. And if we take this completely out of its context, and we take Jesus and put his words into today's world, it doesn't make any sense. Because I think that what Jesus is really trying to do here is to stop the injustices that were being done to so many Israelite women in his community. In ancient Israel, a woman could not divorce a man. It wasn't her choice. But a man could divorce her for any reason. He could cast her aside simply because he didn't like her anymore, or because he found someone better, or because he just felt like he wanted to. And it wasn't like, oh, she can get a job and she can move on with her life because good riddance to that guy, right? Instead, she was left completely without anything. She couldn't own property. She couldn't work. She couldn't care for herself. To be divorced was to literally be cast aside and out of her community. And if she were to get remarried, it was often not in good circumstances because of the situation that she had been in. This isn't about escaping from relationships that are emotionally or physically unsafe or unhealthy. This isn't about the reality that sometimes people are better apart than they are together. These words from Jesus remind us not to cast aside our neighbor. Jesus is trying to remind us that when we don't care for our neighbor, when we don't care for one another, we harm ourselves as much as the person we fail to care for. These words from Jesus remind us that we aren't called to look inward upon ourselves. We aren't called to just care about ourselves as individuals, but we are called together in community. 
Jesus wants us in relationships together, and he wants us to recognize that we are called to care for each other, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Even as Jesus finishes up this fire and brimstone sermon, he tells those listening, don't just carry out the vows you have made. Don't just swear because you feel like you need to. It's not just don't bear false witness, but rather don't bear any witness at all if there's a possibility you might be lying. Jesus is trying to get at the way we find excuses not to live out God's commandments. As Jesus sums, God's, sums up God's commandments, he says it is to simply love God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And whether it might be by hanging on to our anger and resentment, or turning another person into an object, or casting out someone who is in need of care, or making accidental false promises, Jesus reminds us in today's reading that no one is without sin. We all fall short of what Jesus calls us to be in this world. And you might not believe it, but there is actually good news here. Because Jesus is pointing us to one another, to our community, to our neighbor. Jesus points us towards forgiveness and whole hearts towards the image of God in one another, towards caring for our neighbor in need, towards honesty in our relationships with God, with our neighbor, and with ourselves. And Jesus knows our hearts and our minds. Jesus knows the anger or the resentment that we struggle to let go. Jesus knows when we fail to see the divine and have inadvertently turned a fellow child of God into an object. Jesus knows when we failed our neighbor in need, and Jesus knows when we fail to be honest with ourselves or with others. And yet still, in the midst of Jesus' harsh and difficult words, we know that Jesus is on his way to the cross for you and for me, for all of our broken commandments and broken hearts. Jesus dies to forgive us all our sin, and Jesus rises from the dead to bring us into relationship with the God who created us, who loves us, who brings us together so that we can let go of the hurts that we've been holding, so that we can not be afraid of these difficult words from Jesus, but know that Jesus wants so much more for us than the harmful ways these words have been used, so that we can hold on to the apologies we need to hear and let go of the pain that we've held so that we can create good and healthy boundaries and relationships with one another, so that we can see God's divine image in each other, so that we can care for one another, especially in times of need in our community, so that we can find Christ's truth in our lives, the truth of God's love for each and every one of us, so that through Christ's power and grace and strength in each and every one of us, we too can be God's servants in the world, no matter how imperfect we might be. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.